You're listening to The Melting Podcast, a writing variety show featuring a little of everything from everyone, everywhere. Merry Christmas, Lexicon connoisseurs and word chefs. I'm your head chef, A.F. Grappin. I'm your grill mistress, Aaron Kazmar. And I'm the dish boy, Theo Kazmar. We let him participate this time. It was his Christmas present. It is a special occasion, after all. Christmas. I just said so. Oh, I love Christmas. So do I. Me too. I love Christmas presents. I bet our listeners do too. So you know what? What? We've got some for them today. <gasps> Yay! There's three of them. And there's three of us. Well, why don't we each give a present then? All right. Yours is first, Aaron. So present number one, my present to all of you, is a nice little Christmas poem that I think you'll really enjoy. The Great Kringle Caper by Jeff Brackett He isn't real, said Brother One, with fire to Brother Two. Then who brings all the presents here? Huh, who? Just tell me who. Brother Two, his bottom lip a-trembling with fear, that he might see such loss of faith in what he held so dear. Santa Claus does so exist, he clung on stubbornly, and he will too have my bike to place beneath the tree. Brother One, the eldest now, by more than two long years, took pity on the younger one and tried to still his fears. Perhaps you're right, and I suppose that I just might be wrong. But how can we be sure of that? Stay up the whole night long? That doesn't work, mourned Brother Two. I tried last Christmas Eve. I think he used his magic dust to put me off to sleep. But Brother One and Brother Two eventually were able to come up with a plan that would begin to turn the tables. That magic dust that Santa used gave them the basic plan to borrow Mama's sleeping pills and thus knock out the man. The sleeping pills were in the chest with others of their ilk. A simple thing it was to crush and mix them with his milk. And so on Christmas morning, as the sun began to rise, they clattered down the staircase, and what should greet their eyes? A fat man with a flowing beard, his body dressed in red, his belt and boots a patent black, felt cap upon his head. This hefty man lay motionless, it took away their breath. His eyes were closed, his color pale. Could this be Santa's death? What have we done, cried Brother One, in fear to Brother Two. Is Christmas gone for everyone? Oh no, what can we do? To their relief, the chest then rose up high and his breath roared. The brothers nearly jumped for joy to find that Santa snored. But Brother Two soon looked about. His brows began to rise. Where is the bike that I asked for? Look here. Where is my prize? And where are all the other toys? Why is our tree so bare? While Santa's bag appears so full, perched upon the chair. They gathered up their courage then and peered into that bag. And then their faith in Santa Claus in truth began to flag. For in his bag, besides the presents Santa seemed to have pilfered, were wads of cash, mom's jewelry, and the family's silver. "'What's wrong, my boys?' their father asked when he saw their frowns. "'I am so proud. You caught the thief. You're heroes of the town.' "'There is no Santa. You were right,' said Brother Two to One. And all their father's words of praise could not console his sons. Their hopes were dashed. Their faith was gone. They stumbled to their room. No Santa? How could they go on with Christmas in such gloom? 
but as they went in through the door, they stopped with some surprise. An officer was still within, a cop of quite some size. He had the girth of three grown men. His eyes both seemed to twinkle. The brothers' jaws dropped as they saw his badge. It read Chris Kringle. You boys did well, he said to them, though you're precocious tykes. I think you both deserve rewards, and so here are your bikes. Then he snapped his fingers and two bicycles appeared. His uniform transformed to red, and now he had a beard. It's Santa Claus, said Brother Two, as they both jumped for joy, and Santa danced in a merry jig along with those two boys. They played for hours, kindred souls, and Santa said when done, Merry Christmas, Brother Two, and you too, Brother One. I definitely like the turn it took at the end. Oh, yeah. That was such a great poem. Just the Seussian part of it. I very much enjoyed doing that. That was that was a lot of fun. So thank you on that one, Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you, Jeff. All right, Theo. Time for your present. I actually brought it this time. That's actually good. He's very forgetful. Yeah. Yes. Did you bring the story, the whole story? And nothing but the story. We do want to shout out some special thanks for our guest voice actors in this story. Dave Robison. Paul Ellis, the two Kazmark Jr. chefs, Terry Keenan, Agent Fuchsia, Skinner Co., and R. Judas Brown. We also want to thank Kevin McLeod of Incompetech for the background music. Here it is. Do you believe in magic? by Brianna Robertson. Julian shuffled his feet as he stood in the long, winding line at the mills. Shoving his hands into the pockets of a pair of jeans a few inches too short, he huffed out a harsh breath. Out of the corner of his eye, he caught Mrs. Newell's disapproving glare, but he didn't care. This whole thing was stupid. Shrugging his shoulders and letting his head droop, he settled into a hunch determined to let the whole world know just how he was feeling. Around him, the rest of the kids from Bell Street Orphanage were bouncing on toes, straining their necks, brimming with excitement. They were too far away to see anything yet, but that didn't keep them from trying. The annual trip to see Santa was one of two major field trips the unwanted kids of St. Louis and its surrounding areas could count on, a guaranteed chance to get out from behind the oppressive walls of their lot in life. For one day, they could pretend to forget who they were. They could pretend to be someone, anyone else. They could pretend to be normal. Julian knew that's what they were doing. He'd spent countless years doing the same. He remembered vividly the excitement that welled up at the first sight of the man in red. It was so great you squeezed your arms tight around yourself, trying to contain the joy, desperate to hold yourself together. If you let go, you might burst apart from the strength of it. And of course, there were the lights and sounds and smells of the season. Everything was so bright. Windows glistened. Christmas lights twinkled. Colors sparkled so much it made your eyes hurt. The scent of cinnamon left a slight singe on your nostrils before being overwhelmed by the sugary sweet smell of vanilla Christmas cookies. Voices mingled into a cacophony of anticipation, impatience, and good cheer. In the midst of it all, you could barely contain your joy at simply being a part of it. 
And then there was the hope, both the best and worst of all. That feeling that maybe, just maybe, this might be the year. The year that, instead of a bicycle or a new set of drawing pencils, or even that we for the group room, you got what you really wanted. Yes, Julian knew exactly what was going through the minds of the others. He could see it in the glow of their eyes, the width of their grins, the barely noticeable strain in their linked fingers. He wasn't sure he believed in God. In the same vein, he wasn't sure that if he did, whether he would pray that God let the others hold on to their dreams forever, or wake them up to the cold, harsh truth of reality. He couldn't decide which was worse. The line crawled forward. As they came around the far end of a caramel corn booth set up specifically for the holidays, one of the girls let out a yelp. Jumping up and down, little Katie's finger shook as it pointed across the room. Julian glanced around. Ah, yes, there he was, sitting on an oversized throne-like chair, his trusty elf at one side and a live reindeer on the other, was good old St. Nick. Glancing over at Katie, Julian's chest ached. God, please let her never figure out he's not real. Don't take that away from her. As they continued to inch forward, the anticipation grew as the others got their first good looks at Santa. Mrs. Newell's shushes got louder and more frequent the closer they came to the front of the line, but there was no hiding the look of satisfaction in her eyes as David and Katie and Michael and Kane took turns pulling on her hands and pointing at every holiday detail that caught their eye. She wasn't a bad sort, Mrs. Newell. Unlike other directors Julian had heard tales about, Mrs. Newell actually seemed to care about them all. So had Mr. Newell when he'd been around, but he'd died five years ago in a car accident. They weren't parents. They had too many kids to look after to get that personally involved with any one of them. But on some level, Julian believed Mrs. Newell loved them all, in her own way. She did the best she could, anyway. Julian. His head snapped up at the sound of his name. Mrs. Newell gestured him forward hurriedly. Please pay attention. Lost in his thoughts, he'd failed to move ahead with the rest of the group. Immediately, he crossed the three-foot gap or so, separating him from the others. Sorry, Mrs. Newell. She pursed her lips, but didn't say anything more. Glancing up at her, he quickly looked away. There was impatience in her eyes, yes. There always seemed to be when she looked at him these days. But there was also compassion tinged with sadness, and he didn't want to see it. Couldn't see it. It hurt too much. After what seemed like forever, the kids from Bell Street reached the front of the line. Julian watched as Katie climbed up into that inviting lap and without any hesitation began to list off every desire of her five-year-old heart. Santa watched her raptly, listening with great intent as she asked for a new dolly, an Elsa costume, a Disney princess playhouse, and the ever-impractical pony. When Mrs. Newell gently urged her along, Katie threw her arms around the man's neck and squeezed tightly. Julian's heart swelled as Santa hugged her back. He couldn't help it. This wasn't real, he knew that. Katie wouldn't get everything she'd asked for. Mrs. Newell couldn't afford that much for each child, and state funding had been severely limited. He wasn't supposed to know that, of course. But was it his fault Mrs. Newell's bedroom and office was just above his, and her voice carried through the air duct in his ceiling? Anyway, the point was, Katie didn't know this wasn't real. She believed every bit of it. Santa Claus, flying reindeer, elves, magic... He couldn't help but appreciate the beauty in that. It wasn't too long before all the other kids had taken their turn and only Julian was left. 
The guy posing as Father Christmas, whoever he was, motioned with his arms, inviting Julian to take a seat on his knee. Thanks, but I'll stand if that's all right. He heard Mrs. Newell's soft reprimand behind him, but kept his eyes on the bearded face staring up at him. Why, it's perfectly all right. Merry Christmas, son. What's your name? Julian tried to hide the wince at being called son, but the pinprick to his heart, given recent circumstances, was sharp. Julian. Well, Julian, it's an honor to meet you. I'm guessing you know who I am. Yep. Well, who he was pretending to be, anyway. But there was no point in ruining the fun for the others. Good, good. And how old are you, Julian? Twelve, sir. Nearly thirteen. Oh, that's a fine age. A fine age. Tell me something, Julian. Being that age, do you believe in magic? His gaze shot up at that, met a steady stare. Those eyes. There was something familiar, but no. There was no way. Julian fidgeted, uncomfortable with the question. Meeting that stare again, he heard himself answer honestly. I want to, sir. Santa's mustache shifted, as if he were pursing his lips, and the way he rubbed his beard thoughtfully made Julian wonder just what the man in red was considering. After a moment, he nodded, as though he'd come to a decision. What would you like for Christmas, Julian? A family. The words nearly tripped off his tongue before he gave them a sharp tug and swallowed them back. Unbidden, thoughts swarmed his mind, pictures emerging and fading one after another. A tall, muscular man with buzzed black hair and stubble along his jaw. A woman with blonde hair and blue eyes, her willowy frame a misrepresentation of her strength. An old bike pulled out of a garage covered in cobwebs and dust. The same bike scrubbed until it shone, with new tires and an Avenger's sea cover. Jack-o'-lanterns carved and placed along front porch stairs, their candlelit grins alight with mischief. Julian blinked furiously, his eyes stinging with the prickle of tears. Glancing away, he berated himself. Stop it, you crybaby. You always knew it might not work out, and it didn't. Crying won't change that. And besides, nearly thirteen-year-olds don't cry. You're practically a man. Act like it, for Christ's sakes. Sucking in a deep breath, Julian turned back to the mall Santa. You don't have to worry about me. Just take care of the others. They need it more than I do. Before the fake Santa could respond, Julian turned and headed away from the Christmas setup, making room for the next kid awaiting his turn. Hearing the click of Mrs. Newell's sturdy pumps behind him, he glanced back, expecting an admonishment. Instead... She was looking at him with something akin to pity, which was so, so much worse. Shoving his hands into his pockets, Julian hunched his shoulders, gluing his gaze to the floor. It was bad enough he couldn't get away from his own disappointment. He didn't need to see hers, too. The next two weeks dragged, Christmas Eve looming ever closer, yet inevitably so far away, until it finally arrived. The atmosphere at Bell Street was electric, charged with anticipation. The younger kids couldn't contain their excitement as Mrs. Newell dragged out the ancient Christmas tree and arranged its fake branches. The giddiness only grew as boxes were opened and colorful garlands, strings of popcorn, and various ornaments were revealed. Shouts rang through the rooms, bouncing off walls and ceilings. Try there, Mrs. Newell! 
Julian couldn't bring himself to join in the celebratory activities. God knew he wanted to. He just couldn't. Not this year. Not after what had happened. He'd been so close. So close. He was sure. So positively sure this was it. Finally, after years of having no real family, no real home, he was going to be adopted. He just knew it. Except he wasn't. Why? Why didn't it work out? What did he do wrong? He'd been racking his brain for weeks now. Had the fight really been it? Was a single broken nose what had cost him his future? One misstep? Dan and Rita McFarland were a fairly young couple. Dan was a pediatrician, Rita a real estate agent. They had a nice two-story home in St. Peter's with a fenced-in backyard and a Great Dane, Rocco. God, he loved that dog. Especially at night when the dumb thing would climb into bed with him and take up all but two inches of the full-size mattress. Julian had been skeptical when he'd first met his new foster family. They just didn't seem the type. Especially not to take an adolescent. A baby, sure. Or maybe even a bubbly youngster like Katie. But a kid like him, nearly in his teens, and bound to have a full set of built-in issues? Not a chance. Still, they were welcoming enough, and their place was so much better than the orphanage. He had a room all to himself, with a TV and an Xbox One. Rita cooked dinner every night, unless she had a late showing with a client. Then Dan would cook, which meant Dan would grill. Julian would chase around the backyard, throwing a tennis ball for Rocco, or sometimes he'd just sit and chat with Dan. It was nice talking to Dan, with the scent of charcoal singeing the air. The guy didn't treat him like a kid, you know? He talked to Julian like Julian was a man, instead of talking down to him. They argued about football. Julian had grown up in St. Louis, so what choice did he have but to cheer for the Rams? Dan, on the other hand, was a Bears fan for some unknown reason. Didn't really matter, since neither team had had a decent season in years. And Rita? Rita was prime mom material. Like her husband, she was careful to treat Julian more like someone closer to being grown than a kid. Still, she was free with her affection, never hesitating to wrap her arms around him in a hug and place a kiss on his head. Every day when he got home from school, she'd greet him that way, with a hug and a kiss and a, Hey, how was school today? Of course, they didn't hesitate to discipline either. He hadn't meant to get in that fight. He really hadn't. But that jackass Joey Rand just couldn't keep from running his mouth about how Julian was just the McFarland's charity case, and nobody would really want a stupid orphan boy like him. Joey had been on the pavement, blood gushing from his nose, before Julian had realized he'd hit him. After a talk with the principal, Dan and Rita gave him a grounding to go along with the week of detention. No TV. No Xbox. No phone. It was hell. But the next time Joey started spouting crap, Julian just walked away. The guy wasn't worth it. Apparently, though, learning to walk away came too little too late. Because it wasn't long after that initial fight, Julian found himself headed back to Bell Street. Back to the orphanage, his dreams smashed against its walls. Julian. Yanked from his thoughts, he glanced up from the copy of Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief, sitting forgotten in his lap. Yes, Mrs. Newell? It's time to start heading up. Yes, ma'am. Rising, he glanced over at the clock on the wall. Nine o'clock. 
Yeah, the other kids would all be climbing into bed right about now, desperate to get to sleep. They all knew Santa wouldn't come if they didn't. Slipping his book under his arm, Julian cracked his knuckles and headed for the stairs. Night, Mrs. Newell. Julian? Yeah? I've packed up your things. He swung back to her, his eyebrows knitting. What? Why? You're being placed tomorrow. His heart dropped into his stomach. No. Not again. He couldn't take another foster home. Not this soon. Tomorrow? Yes. On Christmas? Yes. Why? You know how the system works, Julian. I- No, I mean, why tomorrow? Why on Christmas? Why can't it be in a few days? Why can't it wait? Please, Mrs. Newell, don't send me away on Christmas. What about Katie and David and the others? I need to be here for them. I need to be. Please. Please don't send me away on Christmas. Please. Please, Mrs. Newell, don't. Don't. Tears streamed down Julian's cheeks as he panicked, his words pouring out in an uncontrollable babble. This couldn't be happening. It wasn't fair. If he couldn't have his own family, the least he could have was the others. They were like his brothers and sisters, and yeah, he wanted to be adopted. They all did. But that didn't mean he didn't care about them all. What would they do without him? What would he do without them? Not on Christmas. This couldn't be happening on Christmas. Mrs. Newell's arms came around him, pulling him into a tight embrace. He latched on, desperate for an anchor, any anchor, any show that somebody cared, at least a little. Julian. Julian, calm down. It'll be okay, I promise. Shh, it'll be okay. His words died away, leaving only his tears to stain the front of her shirt as she held him. Her hand stroked down the back of his head, pulling his hair away from his wet cheeks. He burrowed in close, and for the first time since he'd known her, he never wanted to let go. In this moment, not only wasn't she a bad sort, she was all he had. This, Bell Street, was all he had. And it was going to be taken from him. On Christmas. Finally, he pulled away, resignation settling in his chest. Apparently, the cards were never going to fall in his favor. Might as well get used to it. Start standing up to it like a man. Tears were a waste. They always will be. Merry Christmas, Mrs. Newell. Turning away, he trudged up the stairs and climbed into bed. A while later, he heard the rustling of what surely was Mrs. Newell placing wrapped packages under the tree. Santa was making his appearance. Too bad he wouldn't be granting Julian's wish. Julian rolled over and settled in, but it was well into the night before sleep claimed him. Julian. Julian, wake up. Julian groaned as the sound of Mrs. Newell's voice pulled him from sleep. Opening his eyes into the barest of slits, he realized it was still dark. Very dark. Jeez, what time was it? Rolling over, he sat up and rubbed his eyes. What is it? There's a cab waiting for you downstairs. It's time to go. Huh? He gave his head a good shake, trying to knock the sleep loose. What time is it? 7.30. Good grief. He was pretty sure he hadn't fallen asleep until at least <sighs> two. Why so early? It's just the way it is, Julian. Now, hurry up and get dressed. The cab's waiting. I'll take your bag and meet you downstairs. Julian watched her go, too tired to fully embrace indignation. 
Early in the morning or late tonight, what did it matter? He was being ripped away from the only family he could claim on Christmas Day. Better to get it over with, he supposed. Kind of like ripping off a Band-Aid. He tossed on the pair of jeans, white t-shirt, and black hoodie Mrs. Newell had left out for him, shuffled down the stairs. Reaching the bottom, he glanced toward the living room with the lit-up tree. It was empty. Weird. The younger kids never slept this late on Christmas mornings. You were lucky if you made it to six before being pounced on. It was the one morning the Newells had never complained about being woken up early, the one morning where the kids' impatience was indulged rather than reprimanded. For goodness sake, Julian, quit dawdling. At Mrs. Newell's nagging, Julian shrugged. He headed for the front door, stepped out onto the porch. He turned to the director and held out a hand. Where are the other kids? They're still asleep. Oh. He rubbed at his chest, hating that he wasn't getting the chance to tell the others goodbye, especially little Katie. He would miss her the most. Thanks for everything, Mrs. Newell. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Julian. The look on her face was odd, almost as if she worried she'd never see him again. He doubted that was likely. His last foster experience hadn't worked out so well. What were the chances this one would be any better? Her eyes were bright, but he couldn't tell if it was due to a sheen of tears or the reflection of the porch light. She ignored his hand, instead pulling him into a quick hug. Just as quickly, she released him and gave him a nudge in the direction of the waiting car. Go on now. Don't keep the driver waiting. He studied her for a moment more, then headed down the stairs. A cold burst of wind caught him as he stepped out from under the porch's roof. He pulled his hood up, shivering inside the hoodie. Just as he reached the door of the car, Mrs. Newell's voice stopped him. Julian? He turned back. I'm proud of you, Julian. Her words sucked the breath from him. They were words she'd never spoken to him before. No one had spoken those words to him before. A ball of heat welled in his chest, warming him until he no longer felt the cold. Tears pricked his eyes. His voice cracked when he replied. I love you, Mrs. Newell. I love you, too. I always will. With a nod, Julian opened the door, the cab's heat blasting his body. He slid in, shut the door. He didn't stop himself from looking back and watching Mrs. Newell until the car turned a corner and she disappeared from sight. Settling into the seat, Julian stared at his hands, paying no attention to where they were going. It didn't really matter, after all. His thoughts drifted from one nothing to another, vague images playing endlessly in his mind. Kid. Hey, kid. Julian jerked his head up. Huh? We're here. What? Where? Where I was told to take ya. You want to get out? Julian sat up, glanced out the window. Immediately, his stomach churned. He looked back over at the cabbie. What is this? What? Is this some kind of sick joke? Because it isn't funny. What are you talking about, kid? It's not funny. Get me out of here. Kid, look, I don't know what your problem is, but this is where I'm supposed to drop you off. It can't be. There's got to be some mistake. No mistake. 645 Plumtree Drive. Julian looked out the window again. His heart pounded, bruising his ribs. His breath came fast, the gusts raising sharply against his ears. Disjointedly, he popped the door handle, kicked his feet out, rose up. With a thunk, he heard the trunk release. Walking around, he fished around blindly until he found the strap of his oversized gym bag. He slung it over his shoulder, banged the trunk shut. 
Then he just stood there and stared. God, it looked just the same. Except for the Christmas lights, of course. And the nativity scene. And the reindeer made out of twigs sitting on the front lawn. But other than that, just the same. Belatedly, he recognized the sound of an engine and glanced over. The cab was heading down the block, stopping at the corner, turning. Then it was gone. Julian looked back at the house. Sweat broke out on his forehead despite the cold. What was he supposed to do now? Go in, he supposed. Except, was this really happening? He forced himself to take a step, then another. A tiny burst of cold stung his nose. It took a moment before he realized it had begun to snow. As the snowflakes fell, slowly at first and then more rapidly, he continued to take hesitant steps toward the front porch. Reaching the stairs, he stepped up. Then again. Again. He heard the baritone bark. He kept his eyes glued to the front door. He couldn't bring himself to look in the window. He was too scared this wasn't real. And if it was a dream, he wasn't ready to wake up yet. Reaching the door, he raised his hand, then dropped it. He needed to knock. That was what you did when you came to a closed door. You knocked. Knock on the door. Come on, Julian. Just do it. Raise your hand, make a fist, and knock. His knuckles barely brushed the wood, but it was the best he could do. The barking got louder, more insistent. There was the sound of what he guessed was claws scratching against the door. Down. Down, Rocco. Julian heard the voice through the door. He recognized it, but still, he didn't believe it. Not yet. The door opened. And there they were. Dan and Rita, their faces bright with smiles. Julian barely got a look at them before he was tackled by the Great Dane. Slobber covered his face and hands as Rocco licked at him, dousing him in doggy kisses. Julian brought his hands up instinctively, petting the dog, hugging it, before he tried to set the animal away from him. A strong hand reached out and took Rocco by the collar, pulling him back into the house. Julian? Julian! Julian forced himself to focus. He looked up at the man and woman he'd been so desperate to call Mom and Dad, their faces so familiar and yet in that moment, totally foreign. Come in, son, before you freeze. Dan's arm came around his shoulders, ushered him into the foyer. The bag was slid from his arm, he assumed by Rita, and then they were walking into the living room. A huge tree stood in the corner, surrounded by wrapped packages. And sitting on the floor was Katie, Michael, David and Kane. Every kid from the orphanage was there. Julian! Katie screamed his name, dropped the baby doll she was holding, and raced across the room. Julian stumbled as she tackled his legs, hugging him tightly. Just as quickly, she let go and ran back to her Christmas present. I... I don't understand. Dan came to stand in front of him, slipped an envelope into his hands. Maybe this will help. Woodenly, Julian slid his finger under the envelope's flap, lifted it, and pulled out what was within. It was an official-looking document, a letter of some sort. Dear Mr. and Mrs. Daniel McFarland, After much time and consideration, the State of Missouri has determined to grant your request for permanent guardianship of Julian John Murray. It is hereby decided that on this date, the 20th of December, 2014, you gain and retain guardianship of the minor in question and thereby take on the responsibility of him and his well-being. 
Signed by the Honorable Judge Mary E. Clarkson. Julian read the document, then reread it a second and then third time. Finally, he looked up. His breath shook, as did his hands. Is this real? Rita smiled and nodded. It is. But how come? Why? Why did we have to send you back? Julian managed to nod. Rita leaned in and hugged him while Dan explained. We knew after the first few months we wanted to not only foster you, but adopt you. But the state has certain requirements that have to be met, and in order to meet those requirements, we had to send you back to Bell Street until the process could be finalized. We wanted to tell you, but if for some reason we'd been denied, we didn't want you to have the extra disappointment of knowing we wanted you, but couldn't keep you. At the time, it seemed like a better idea to not say anything until we were sure. Julian just stared, frozen. I'm sorry, Julian. I know it must have hurt when we sent you back, but please believe us. We were trying to cause you as little pain as possible. But I'm yours now? Yes. As in, I live here now? <laughs> yes. Forever? Dan and Rita laughed. <laughs> <laughs> For as long as you want to be here, you can call this home. And can I... Can you what? Can... Can I call you... Yes, Julian, absolutely. We hoped you'd want to. Julian threw his arms around Dan. No, not Dan. His father. Julian threw his arms around his father, holding on for dear life. After what seemed like forever, he let go, only to turn and hug his mother. Finally, tears rolling down his cheeks and laughter pouring from his mouth, he pulled away. So, what is everyone else doing here? We wanted you to spend Christmas with us, but we thought you might also want to spend it with the rest of the kids from Bell Street. And in order for us to surprise you the way we wanted, Mrs. Newell couldn't give you a chance to say goodbye to everyone beforehand. So we invited them all for the day. Julian couldn't quite take it all in. How awesome were these people, his parents, that they would assume and understand his need to bid farewell to his old life and the people who were part of it, that they would know how important it was to see Katie open her gifts and squeal in delight, to watch Mrs. Newell smile secretly with satisfaction as her kids found joy on this day. Except, wait, where was Mrs. Newell? Surely she wasn't spending the day at Bell Street. A knock sounded behind him and Rocco let out a series of barks. Looking up at his mom and dad, he waited for their nod, then walked to the front door, his front door. Opening it wide, there stood Mrs. Newell, a smile stretching from ear to ear across her face. Welcome home, Julian. It wasn't until Mrs. Newell and the other Bell Street kids had left, their smiles wide and hearts full, and his dad was tucking him into bed, that the realization struck. You were Santa Claus! Dan looked over, then sat on the edge of the bed and smiled. Yes. I knew I recognized your eyes, I, but I... it was just too hard. I couldn't... He trailed off, unsure how to finish. I know. So, tell me something, son. What's that? 
Do you believe in magic? Brianna Robertson is married, two kids, working on a third, and lives in Quincy, Illinois. She has two self-published works, Breaking Out, which is a short story anthology, and Was, Is, Yet to Come, a poetry collection. Currently working for the Ed Greenwood Group, she is set to write two novels, Long Ride, to release in 2017, and Hand of Justice, to release in 2021. She's an Ed Greenwood Group friend. Yay, Brianna! And yay for someone else working on baby number three! Woo! Yeah. For those of you who don't know, the Aaron is pregnant. Yes, the Melting Pot cast has a bun in the oven. So on to present number three. Ooh, ooh, what's present number three? What's present number three? You'll have to wait until after the promo. Aw, but boss... Wait for it. In Empire of Bones, Commander Jared Mertz and Princess Kelsey scored a stunning victory over the Savage Pale Ones. Yet, they paid a terrible price for it, one that left their ship crippled and changed the princess forever. As Kelsey struggles to master the combat enhancements the Pale Ones forcibly implanted inside her, and Jared works feverishly to resurrect an ancient battlecruiser, they discover the Pale Ones aren't as defeated as they seemed. Jared and Kelsey race to unravel the secrets behind the ancient rebellion that destroyed galactic civilization and thwart unseen foes determined to take their new ship and their lives. If they fail, an entire planet dies. Veil of Shadows, Book 2 in the Empire of Bones Saga, written by Terry Mixon. Present, 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 a Christmas Carol. Oh, that definitely goes with the Christmas theme. I like this Christmas present. Yes. Here we go. <clears throat> <laughs> no running ahead. I just read the first word, okay? Sail me, cried the ghost. <clears throat> My time is nearly gone. <laughs> okay, they can't hear that. <clears throat> I will, said Scrooge. But don't be hard upon me. Don't be flowery, Jacob. Flail! <laughs> but is it a Muppet flail? <laughs> how is it that I appear before you in a shape that you can see me, I may not tell? Oh, how it is. Huh? Uh, I may not tell. I have sat aggressively beside you many and many a day. <laughs> it was glaring. I guess. It was not an unctuous idea. Scrooge shivered and wiped the molten glass from his brow. Ow! <laughs> <sighs> ah. 
That is no light part of my penance, pursued the ghost. I am here tonight to masticate you. (laughs) That you have yet a chance and hope of escaping my riverboat. (laughs) (laughs) Why do some of these people in boats? (laughs) A chance and hope of my procuring, Ebenezer. You were always a bespectacled friend to me, said Scrooge. Thank ye. You will be moaned, resumed the ghost, by three bobbleheads. <laughs> Scrooge's countenance fell almost as low as the ghost's had done. Is that the chance and hope you mentioned, Jacob? He demanded in a bumbling voice. Oh, he's me. <laughs> it is. I... I think I'd rather not, said Scrooge. Without their visits, said the ghost, you cannot hope to gyrate the path I tread. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) Expect the first tomorrow when the bell tolls one. Couldn't I vomit them all at once and have it over, Jacob? Hinted Scrooge. (laughs) 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 Expect the second on the next night at the same hour. The third upon the next night, when the last stroke of twelve has ceased to fly. (sighs) Time flies. (laughs) Wow. Look to see me no more, and look that for your own sake you remember what has passed between us. (laughs) Gas. Gas. I'm here to masticate you. (laughs) But butts on trees? Butts on trees! Three butts. Sail me. I have sat aggressively beside you for years. What's today, my fine vegan? said Scrooge. Today? replied the boy. Why, tardy day. (laughs) (laughs) It's Christmas day, said Scrooge to himself. I haven't missed it. The spirits have done it all in thirty-seven nights. They can do anything. (laughs) They can do anything they like. Of course they can. Of course they can. Hello, my fine fellow. Hello, returned the boy. Do you know the poulterers in the next street but one at the corner? Scrooge inquired. (laughs) Scrooge. (laughs) He's happy. (laughs) I should hope I did, replied the alchemist. Come from? It's Steve. <laughs> A sycophantic boy, said Scrooge. <laughs> A babbling boy. <laughs> I thought he was an alchemist. Apprentice. Do you know whether they've sold the prize honey badger that was hanging up there? <laughs> it gives not one shit. <laughs> Not the throbbing prize turkey. The malodorous one. Ew. What? The one as big as me, returned the boy. What a delightful boy, said Scrooge. It's a pleasure to smack him. <laughs> yes, my All the way from the window? How? <laughs> it's a tardy day miracle. <laughs> <laughs> It's stretching there now, replied the boy. Is it? said Scrooge. Go and pound it. (laughs) It's a pleasure to smack him. No stretching, turkey. Walker, exclaimed the boy. 
No, no, said Scrooge. I am in earnest. Go and buy it and tell him to bring it here, that I may give them the direction where to entangle it. Ooh, fancy. Come back with the man and I'll give you a shilling. Come back with him in less than 101 minutes and I'll give you half a crown. <laughs> oh. oh, well, that's a long time. <laughs> I'll send it to Bob Cratchit's, whispered Scrooge, rubbing his aortas <laughs> and splitting with a laugh. He shan't know who sends it. It's twice the size of Will Smith. <laughs> that's a big-ass turkey. <laughs> wow. It's tardy day. It's tardy day. <laughs> Such a pleasure to smack him. <laughs> Such a pleasure to smack him. Wow. <laughs> the sycophantic boy. Gosh, I love those things. <laughs> I know, right? We need to get going on another one for coming up soon. You just enjoy listening to us struggle through them. <laughs> I swear, you laugh louder than anybody. Well, that's because they're funny. <laughs> Well, now on to something a little less cheerful and happy. One of our prompts is going to be closing at the end of this month. Yeah, prompt number six is going away, so you still have a little bit of time to turn in a Stoke the Fire story for why is everyone afraid of the mailman? We need to know. Theo needs to know. I do. I actually like the mailman. Well, we have a female man. Not yesterday we didn't. <gasps> I wonder what happened to the female man. Tell us. Tell us. Tell us. We will announce the new prompt taking its place on January 1st. So you better listen up. We'll see you guys next year. Have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, everybody, from all of us here at the Melting Podcast. Party responsibly. Or don't. You know, whatever floats your boat. Yeah. We'll love you anyway. Send us stuff. Send us so much stuff. We just gave you three awesome Christmas presents. I think we deserve some words. Yeah. Because we use them to feed the masses. Thank you for listening to The Melting Podcast. You can check out our website with submission guidelines and current prompts at themeltingpodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter at Melting Podcast. Or you could email us themeltingpodcast at gmail.com. The Melting Podcast is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives License which means you're free to copy it and share it as long as you don't change it, don't sell it, and always link back to the website. Sound effects are by the Free Sound Project. And our theme is by Drew Rich Creek. Send us stuff!